Matt is a former Special Forces sniper turned CEO of 7th Level and the founder of Sales Sniper. We went from startup to 1.5 a month in two years. A high performance team is not a team of rock stars. Welcome to the Zeroed In Podcast. I'm your host, John Lalonde, a seasoned real estate investment expert and former Marine Recon Sniper. This podcast is designed for those seeking effective strategies to increase revenue growth through strategic hiring, leadership, and effective tracking. Our focus here is clear and direct. We provide actionable insights from successful founders and growth experts. Whether you're establishing a new business or aiming to scale an existing one, our episodes offer the essential advice you need for practice. Practical business growth. Lock and load, zero in, and get ready to scale. Today, our episode on the Zeroed In podcast, we have Matthew Ryder. Matt is a former Special Forces sniper turned CEO of 7th Level and the founder of Sales Sniper. So today we're going to talk about what attributes a top sales performer has how to identify them. We're gonna talk uh, about some sales leadership stuff and then stay tuned till the end where we talk about what you need to know that you probably don't know a CEO does running a $75 million a year business. $75 million or did you guys, are you guys higher than that now? Uh, no, 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 we've done about $75 million in total over the last sort of three years. $75 million so in total climb, over the- Yeah, we're climbing, we're climbing up there. We're not, we're not there on the per year that, thank God. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So we will jump right in. Matt, so um, I know you talk about Rich Devaney's book, Attributes, and, and another one yeah. of our podcasts. Can you explain what attributes are versus like bullet points on a resume? And then what attributes that you typically see in top sales performers? Yeah, for sure. So attributes are more um, like they're more linked to behaviors, right? Okay. And so. Like, you know, things on a CV, I think like there's a, there's something to be said for like a good resume, a good CV. Like, I don't think that it's a bad thing, but I don't think it's going to give you like the level of behaviors that you want. So for salespeople, like, I think that it's less relevant. I think it's good to see experience and where they've worked and what they've done, but it's not like they're looking for some sort of formalized education. You know what I mean? Cause like they're just, yeah. they just sort of isn't one. You can get a marketing degree, but you can't get a sales degree, which is kind of weird. Right. Um, and then, and then from there, like, so I'm looking for like, what courses they've done off their own back. Um, but then I'm really looking for like, what can I link back to like a set of behaviors that I want? Because with salespeople, it's about activities and behaviors. That's really about it. Um, and so, you know, if I want to see, like, I'm going to create some scenarios for them and, and try and have an understanding as to how they're going to like react to them. Um, you know, like I want someone who's a bit cunning. Like, so cunning is an attribute that's all about problem solving, right? Like they don't, necessarily have a look at a problem that's in front of them and go like they go a cunning person goes okay what's the box that i'm in and then i go what happens if i what like what are the consequences if i break the box you know what i mean okay. and so like salespeople usually the more problem solving a salesperson is and the sort of more looking to game the system a salesperson is the, the more effective they're going to be because they're looking to get a really good outcome you know, and they're not like, and they, and they, there's a particular set of constraints in front of them. They can sort of work their way around them or work with them or potentially sometimes break them in order to kind of get a really good outcome, which isn't a bad thing, right? How would you find that out or what questions would you ask during an interview to be yeah. able to tell if someone has those attributes? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the difficult thing with hiring is you can't do personality assessments beforehand. You can't do any of that stuff, right? So, um, for me, like, one of it is just, like, you know, um, giving them a task to do on the, like, so setting up prior and saying, hey, listen, this is the backstory. This is what I want you to give me a brief presentation on. This is the medium I want you to do it. This is the length of time you have. And then when they get there, you change the medium and shorten the time. Hey, so instead of doing a, a 10 minute PowerPoint, you're going to do a five minute just talk, right? So you have okay. five minutes to do this, right? So you switch, you switch it really quickly. That'll tell you what their like adaptability is like because sales is a highly adaptable. Like you have to be, you have to be highly adaptable, right? If you're very rigid in your process and how you have to do things here, if you to be successful, sales is too fast of an environment for you, right? Um, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. Like if everybody was like that, it'd be a nightmare. You know what I mean? Um, another thing that I do is, is I always give, like, I always want to see if they're going to handle objections. So I'll tell them no. Hey man, I already know this is a good fit. Um, you know, yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not really sure this is the good, good, good sort of timing. I might have to go and check with the partners. And then, like, if they just go, oh, yeah, but if they don't get the clue that that's their time to sort of go for it, then, like, I don't really know what to do for you. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about that um, because I do the same thing when I'm interviewing salespeople, and maybe it was the wording, but I would say, hey, I'm, you know, as of right now, I'm not convinced that you have what it takes to find success here. That's how I would word it, and I what it takes is a bit of a it's a bit of a defensive stance, you know what I mean? That's what and that's what I was told too. Um, so how do you how do you word it differently? Uh, how would you how exactly do you word that to kind of still challenge them? I mean, I think I've said it in a lot of different ways, but I've said like you know um, I'm not 100 percent sure that this would be a good fit right now, and I'll okay. I'll sort of try and do it in a way where a prospect would do it. I might need to go back and check with my partners and some other guys in the division just to see. You know, if, if, if this is going to work out. Yeah. And then just kind of like leave it there and like let it linger and let, just yeah. see what they do. Because if they just retreat straight away, you know, the chances of them being a good sales rep, I think is pretty low. Right. Now, you said something interesting. You said that you can't PI them. You can't do a personality index before you hire them. I've yeah. never heard that before. And I break that rule right now. And I'm sure I, well, you, I know you for are a in fact Columbia. I'm not the only yes. one. Um, but in most of my sales, most of my sales reps, actually all my sales reps are in the United States. So what, yeah, yeah. what am I breaking? And, and why can you not hire a due personality index? There's uh, just labor to? laws. You can't ask gender, okay. sex, marital status. Um, you can't ask, like there are a lot of things you can't ask. And so and you also can't, you can't give like behavioral assessments prior Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, you can yeah. do them during. So, like, you can do that, like, when someone's hired, you can do the Myers-Briggs on them and you can do all that kind of stuff. For But you can't hire because then, like, they think it's going to be discriminatory because you're, you're sort of trying to weed out a particular demographic. Whether, okay. You know what I mean? Whether they, not, maybe not, like, a racial demographic, but a demographic of thought, I suppose. Which what? would lean towards, you know, you have sort of a certain way of doing things. But And every state's different as to what you can and can't do beforehand. Um, but it's not the state the business is in; it's the state the pro- it's the state the recruits in. Okay, and so that, that becomes say, a difficulty. And which what do you use uh, for your companies? Do you use culture index? Do you use PI? We use um, Rich Dibney's attribute assessment. Okay, now let's say let's say you hire somebody, right? And yeah, 
you find out that their attributes, like after doing the test, maybe this doesn't happen often, but you find yeah. out they're actually complete opposite of what you were looking for. What do you do then? Um, you know, I, I, like I think what separates a really good boss and a really good CEO and a, and a not so good one is speed to fire. Um, okay. Speed to fire is really important. Like if someone's not right for the position, they, they just shouldn't be there. So like if someone's underperforming, if someone's not the right fit, if someone's like, it's just not going to grow or be there for a while or be able to succeed massively, just get, just fire them. Like it, it does no one any favors to have someone be in a position for six months too long, you know, or move them to a different department. One of the stupidest things that I see all the time is when someone does a bad job, they promote them. You know, it happens all the time then because like they'd rather go, well, you know, they've been here for a while and yeah, they've been shit in the bed for the last six months, but like they're such a nice guy. So what we'll do is we'll promote them to a different area where they can shit the bed equally as bad. Or have more yeah. responsibility and do even worse job. And then from there, the resentment builds up and you fire them. So, like, for us, each department has a different set of attributes, which each department had went through and kind of went through. Um, and we, we've only really been high, even half decent at this over the last, I would say, like, six to eight months. Like, before that, we hired super reactively. Um, you know, it was just sort of, like, getting people in whenever we could, like, you know, and, and what that led to is just like, just it slowed everything down tremendously because we were having to sort of like replace people constantly, you know. And so when we slowed down and we took the time to do an attributes assessment and really think about like what was a good, not personality type, but it's like what are the key behaviors that we want to see within each department? And then like, like, like what is what is required for a sales rep it's not required for a customer service rep. it's not required for a finance person or admin person right they're just different beasts and so like but you also like you don't want everyone to be the same so like you don't want like if you have 10 attributes there's 47 on rich's list i think if you have you don't want everyone to have like all the same six like you want to have a well-rounded crew because like a high performance team is not a team of rock stars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. an all-star team doesn't perform as good as the best teams, you know? Because, like, a, 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 a the best team is crafted, you know, to be an amazing team, to be a high-performance team. I think that, that's why Rich's stuff was so interesting to me. I, like, I don't know if you... I don't know if you worked with Dev Group at all or anything like that, but... Um, yeah. Like, so dev group, like the big difference that I saw between like, say like seals and like dev group or like, you know, ODA range and stuff like that is that like seals was crafted to be like a very well-rounded unit of people. Like they weren't all the same, whereas dev group was like all the same. I didn't have a lot to do with them, but I met, I met, I met them a fair few times and they had like a hyper religious group. They had, you know, like the old, you know, they were very segmented to like their to be like the very similar, some teams were like huge, some teams were tiny, but they were all very similar human beings. They all had similar, so like you had a team of identical people, which which was like less cohesive. It was still a very effective fighting unit, obviously, but in terms of like the dynamic and the culture, it was a very odd sort of thing to, to behold and experience. But when you see the, the seals that were crafted to be a high performance unit, like of like well-rounded individuals that sort of everyone played off each other's strengths and weaknesses 
like that created a much better like um, you know I guess a more fun and uh, like culture. You know what I mean? Like a more inviting culture. So that's what you really want to do with like a sales team in particular because they are a sports team, and you do need your three point guy. Your you know you need your guys very the foul line. You need guys who can drive. You need guys who can create space. You need guys who can pass. You need guys who can you know play defense. Like if all you have is like fucking a team of James Harden, it's like. Yeah. You're going to score a lot of points, but you're going to get a hell of a lot more scored against you. And what would be the difference in attributes in salespeople? Because, you know, in a, in a sniper team, you've got your point man, you've got your radio operator, you know, you've got your team leader, yeah. your ATL. However, on a sales team, all of the salespeople have relatively the same KPIs. And, and, and maybe it, it depends if you've got like an inbound sales team, uh, you know, an outbound sales team. Let's say you just have an inbound sales team. Are you still looking for diversity inside that team or are, are you okay with having a bunch of, hey, everybody walks and talks the same inside this team. However, our outbound team, they have different attributes. No, I think what you want to do again, I think like, you know, the, the goal for everybody at a basketball team is to put the ball in the hole, right? Yeah. yeah. But like you need a different, you, you have strengths and weaknesses, right? So what you want to do is create a team that that everyone can can play their role, right? Yeah. And like, you know, you need to, also like the, the big thing that comes into play is like they're not all going to be the same level of ambitious. Like that's a big mistake. Everyone thinks that all the salespeople are going to want to get to whatever the number of the month is, right? Fifty k, hundred k, it'll be a billion dollars a month soon. I'm sure. I saw a website; it was trillion dollar closure the other day. Right. But, you know, if I look at my team, like Yash is tremendously ambitious, right? Wants to be a seven figure earner, definitely has the capability. A lot of guys in the team just don't have an interest in it. You know, yeah. they have interest in other things. And so, like, they want to be at 20. So, the moment they get to 20, like, they're shutting down. Right. Like, boom. Right. So, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, like, you have to, but forcing them to want more is impossible and aggravating for everybody because they'll say yes, but they won't do it. Right. Right. And then, you know, so you end up going like, okay, cool, I've got my, you know, you kind of have to look at it like a coach and go, I've got my star player that wants to be an all-star. I've got my guy who wants to be, who needs to be off the bench. I've got my guy who's a role player. I've got my guy who's coming and back clean up. I've got a dude who does a ton of activity, but kind of sucks at shooting, like a Russell Westbrook type character, just kind of all over the shop, but fucking yeah. sucks at shooting. You know, so like, how do I use these guys to my advantage? You know what I mean? And like, create a team you know that's sort of well-rounded and, and and gets the kpis that i need and i like for example like i'm rebuilding some things at the moment in the sales department where like you know yash has closed at over 50 percent on every funnel we've ever had right okay. like going yeah. back for like a year year and a half now so no matter where i put in it's 50 percent. so you know if i don't do something with that information like it's kind of crazy you yeah. know so like if i if i take someone like that like i should just fill them up with 12 calls a day have eight show up and have them close four five days a week right and he has an average cash question of say six grand so the dude's going to give me like anywhere from 20 to twenty-four thousand dollars a day every single day like why wouldn't i do that but like you know but that means it's not really going to be followed it's not really going to do referrals yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, and I have to sort of bring, I have to be aware of that and bring someone in because I can't hold him to a standard of doing that stuff if I'm filling him up like that because he's so effective on the front. You know what I mean? So, 
Whereas someone who's not as effective, like I can't, I can't afford to bring somebody in to do that guy's confirmations and follow-ups. You know, right? So, right. Yeah. And for you guys that don't know who Yash is, Yash is like in his twenties. I think he's in his early, he's in his early twenties, right, Matt? He's eighteen. Hey, okay, so he's younger than that. You would never guess from meeting him, and the guy just crushes. He crushes sales. So that was one of the things I was intrigued by coming into seventh level is everybody there like you get really really good talent so everybody there when they when i've spoken to them they say well i want to be a part of this right i want to be a part in growing this and it's i don't see you guys going out and recruiting maybe you do but i know everybody that i talk to wants to work for seventh level how do you do that i know it's not a one-liner right but what do you think contributes to that I mean, I think if I like remove ego, um, a lot of it's just they think they can make money. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So I think like yeah. Yeah. I think like you know the hot chicken bar, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it'll be somebody else at some stage, like you know, like it was traffic and tunnels, right? Like that's in the high yeah. ticket coaching space. Like everyone wanted to work there because it was a good opportunity. They had a ton of leads. You know what I mean? Like you know, so if you look at it from a selfish perspective, it's usually going to be someone who just thinks that they can make opportunity there, which is fair enough. Then yeah. from a thing, a secondary perspective, I think like, you know, like it's a, it's a real product. Like, I mean, it's a real product, a real service with a, I think a really good, like tangible benefit um, that a lot of people have seen results from. And so, and a lot of the sales guys themselves can see results from. And so it's one of the only like sort of products that a sales guy can experience as a customer and himself. It's just not, you know, right. like, unless you're going to go out and buy a tractor and then sell a tractor, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, you can you can talk a level of passion. So, like, most of the guys, if not all of the guys that we have, have been through some sort of form of our training and then have come in, you know what I mean? And so, and I think, like, because they've learned that, like, oh, shit, like, if I do this, it works way better, then, like, why wouldn't you want to get more people on board for that, you know? So, and then I think, like, you know, me, Mark, and Jeremy as individuals, like, we speak to quite different demographics of people. Yeah. Um, Jeremy very much invites, like, the more corporate sort of dude, and, like, they, they, they see stability in him in terms of, like, his profile and the company and all that kind of stuff. For me, people understand that I, there's a, I, like, I won't lie to them. Like, I have sales reps come to me and they're doing, like, ridiculous numbers somewhere else. And I go, it's probably not going to happen here, Chance. Like, if you want to do it, we can. But, like, you know, you're on 35% scam comms. Like, I can't compete with 35% scam comms. Like, we're in the scam. Right. Like, I actually have a cost of fulfillment. So, like, if you're here for the money, like, you're in the wrong place because that is ridiculous. But it's going to die. But, like, right. hey, write it out. Do, do whatever you want, right? Um, but if you come here, like, this is the reality of what it's going to be. And then people like seem to like that. And I think, you know, I think they can also tell that I think we take it a bit more seriously in terms of the business side of things than what most of the people do in the space. And you mentioned in uh, one of your past interviews that you hire a bunch of, uh, well, you didn't say it like this, but you said that you hire ex gangbangers and special forces guys. And the if reason can, that you're able yeah. to do that is, yeah, the reason that you're able to do that is because you can manage them. How yeah. does someone manage, you know, type A personalities like that, right? You've got uh, people that generally question authority. What do you yeah. think you do different that you're able to handle those people? They just don't seem to question my authority. 
it's a it's a strange thing, man. Like, uh, I think it's because like um, I don't lie to them. So like I, I always say, man, everyone has a sales rep. Like the, the coolest thing about being a sales rep is like you never have to lie to anybody. Like you just you just present the case, right? And so like you know, I think being the XX XSF dude, you know, I think being yeah, you know, six foot two and you know like two forty whatever. Like I think it definitely helps. Um, you know, but also like I have a very, like I have a quite a, like a commanding presence when I come into like, you know, scenarios. And so that's just kind of like, you know, just the way that I am. And that has negative, has negative attributes as well. Yeah. Right. Like, like sort of like whenever I want to talk to my staff, I have to go, Hey, don't worry. There's nothing wrong. I just want to speak about this. Like I have to say that even though I, I never scream at people, I never get angry at people. I, I do the disappointed dad style. That's kind of how I roll. But, you know, everyone still, you know, you've got to be the bad guy every now and then. But I really think it's like the honesty and like the, the, the feedback that I give those types of individuals is very clear because, yes. you know, and I also think I empathize with some of the situations and I can sort of like I can tell why someone's acting the way they are, you know. So like if you get a if you get someone who's been in prison for a long time, you know what I mean? Like they're going to think everyone's out to get them. Right. Right. Like that's just how it's going to be. I mean, if you ever watch videos, the dudes just go out of prison and work out, you know, they go do a workout, look around and put their back to the wall. Right. And they're in a gym, like they're at crunch fitness. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. but like that is, that is a mentality of like people are out to get me, you know? And so if you don't kind of address that and be able to have a conversation about it and go, Hey dude, no one's here to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, and so be able to have those conversations and then be able to like, Firmly and fairly disciplined people, um, and, and lay really clear expectations. Like the best manager that I've ever seen was a guy. I won't say his name because he's still active, but he was a guy in the military, and he he used to say he used to do a really cool like interview whenever we came into his cell, right? And he he would go, listen. First of all, he was a giant, and he was terrifyingly dangerous as a human, right? Yeah, but yeah, you know. Yeah, he never held a grudge. You could fuck up 30 times and like a day he would punish you severely and then it was over. Like there was no grudges, which is yeah. huge because then you, you feel like, you know, oh, okay, like this is cool because if, if you screw up and someone continually punishes you for the same thing, like you just hate them. And then you, you want to find ways around what they say, right? And yeah. so, but this guy said he goes, listen, there's three things and that's it. There's, there's your career, right? Like, you tell me where you want to go in your career and then I'll make the decisions that kind of get you where I think you need to go based on where you want to go. The second is your job. You just have to do your job. And I may have you do jobs that suck, but they're in the best interest of your career. Right? Yeah. And then there's family. Everything trumps family. If you ever have a need, anything, like if you have to take time off or whatever, like for family, just tell us immediately. We'll figure it out. We'll cut it. If you ever use that as an excuse to not work, I'll fire you immediately. Yeah. Right? He used to say something a bit worse than that because in the army, you obviously can't fire people immediately. But, um, you know what I mean? But, like, so, and that, like, really laid, I think, a really clear expectation of how that relationship's going to be. And then also to be like, mate, like, I'm not your friend. Right? Like, that's not why we're here. Doesn't mean I won't be friendly. But, like, when we're on the clock, like, this isn't, this isn't going to be, like, friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I think if people understand the expectations, like nothing should be surprising. So 
obviously you have a lot of experience with managing sales team, but then you have people underneath you who also manage sales teams. Are yeah. you military style, uh, you know, just, hey, you do it and then you get promoted, um, hire the best, or would you say that you want to bring somebody outside? And I guess the military does that too with like COs, right? They bring somebody outside to come. Which yeah, one would you prefer? I mean, I, well, I think like, the the big mistake that I've made is like is doing that is making the best salesperson the manager, that destroys your sales real quick. You know what I mean? And the person who's a really good manager is not necessarily a really good sales rep, and vice versa. You want someone who's competent in sales, yeah. but man, man, managing is a skill set in itself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, it's it's really it's a way of doing things, and there's processes and systems around it. You know, sales coaching and sales man like. Being able to coach someone in sales is one small part of sales management, right? Lead scoring and routing and uh, calendar management and processes are a much more effective skill rather than getting someone to close a think about an objection better, right? So, you know, I think like the, the key is to find like someone who fits the manager bill, you know, and it's, yeah. and then, uh, you know, and I think like the military way of doing it is promoting people to a perpetual state of incompetence. Like, yeah. I haven't met someone who's been, I mean, that's not true, but for, for the most part, the people who I've met who did 25 years in the military, like, were, would have been absolutely fucking incompetent at their job. Like, same as politicians, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. If you're in politics for 35 years, like, why didn't you get an awesome job in the private sector? Like, that doesn't make any sense because you should have right. been doing it. Oh, fair enough. Right? You know, um, like, if you're really creative and, 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 and really sort of like a high level thinker, the military is not the place for you. Right. That's not to say there aren't really creative and high level thinkers in the military, but for the most part, the people at the top, it's not the pointiest end of the spear. You know, um, it's just the people who hung around long enough. I have a couple of questions. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of switch gears towards CEO talk, right? Cause we talked a little bit yep. about sales management. So I'm going to break down three categories, people that are under a million dollars, right? So they yeah. probably don't have employees. Maybe they have a small team under a million dollars Then you have a million to 10 million and then 10 yeah. million plus, right? So yep. as you progress through each phase, what does your calendar look like? What are you focusing on as a CEO running a company from zero to a million, probably doing a lot of sales, right? A million to 10. And then how does that switch once you go above $10 million? Always caveat saying that like your, your product will dictate a lot of that. Okay. You know, if you've got a super yacht and you're selling, you know, um, you know, so pricing is a, is a big difference. Like, um, I think like revenue is a pretty good metric, but I think like, uh, to be honest, like customer base is like a sort of one that really affects you more. Like, cause if you have a business that does $10 million and you sell $3 widgets, my God, you've got a monster of a business. Yeah. Like right. you have a monster of a business. You know what I mean? Like you better, you better strap in. Whereas if you got a high ticket coaching business with a 30 K offer that does 10 million, like it didn't have to be that hard. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that yeah. could be six people. Um, you know, so I think like there's a few things on that, but you know, I think generally speaking, like when you're in that smaller sector, like you are every position, you know? And so like you sort of end up running around like a blue house fly doing everything from sales to marketing to, you know, to finance, to admin, to fulfillment, 
and stuff like that. So, you know, it ends up kind of, you're just kind of all over the shop. And I think you're, you're busy and productive, you know, because you're getting a lot of stuff done. Um, I think that's, that's sort of the realm where most people end up staying. Uh, well, most people never get to me, but most people who do end up kind of staying around there because I think they try and outsource the wrong things. You know, I run an outsource sales agency. Sales should be one of the last things you outsource. Like, yeah, you, yeah. Know, mar- you should outsource marketing first um, or finance or admin or whatever. Like, whatever you're worst at, I would, I would do that. But also, like, you'll usually get, I think, a better output in outsourcing your marketing and then doing the sales yourself. And then, then from there, outsourcing your, you know, whether that's outsourcing or hiring, same sort of thing, having somebody else do it. Right. Um, you know, because between the two, marketing is more important than sales, right? Like if you've got a metric boatload of amazing leads, you can have a bunch of monkeys fucking yeah, snatch the phones and stream like monkeys. A few of them will die, right? Yeah. You know, but if you've got 10 leads, you better be good. Yeah. So, right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so I think like in the initial stage, you're just kind of running around, you know what I mean? And you, you probably don't, you're not really a CEO, like it, you're not really... I mean, like you can call yourself one, but like a true CEO, like if we have a look at like a traditional sense, is like not super busy. Like you know, Bob Iger or like they work a lot, but not busy. Like it's a, be, working a lot and, and being busy are different things. Like Bob Iger is not going to have meetings back to back all day. Yeah. Like it's just not because what's a CEO there to do? A CEO is there to be like uh, it's the chief executive officer, so they're just the managers of the C level. Right. right. So your projects should all be long term, right? Like they're all long term sort of vision projects, not like visionary because that's not like, but you know, sort of things that are like far off that are doing like large strategic scale stuff. And then from there, like, but you're not going to be doing the doing. There's a team of people doing the doing. You're just making sure those things are on track. And then from there, you're, you know, depending if you have shareholders or whatever, you might have different things to do. But essentially, like, when someone needs to call you, you need to be available, right. right? You're the only person really that understands all the cogs that are happening at once. So it's it's not a case of diary space. It's a case of brain space. Like you're just sort of, you know, my, my father-in-law was the MD at the Bank of New York, right? Um, and, you know, of the Southern Hemisphere, so it's called Bank of New York, Mellon. Um, okay. So he ran the entire Southern Hemisphere. Um and I remember, like, he would sit there in the middle of the day in the park, like, having, like, like reading the paper. You know, I was like, oh, what's going on here? Right? And he was like, I'm not supposed to. My job isn't to be busy. Like, you need brain time because, like, you're the one who has to put everything together and then go, yes, no. Like, in those yeses and no's, like, if you have a big team, like, there is significant impact to things. Yeah. So, like, you have to be able to intake a lot of the information. And so... You know, I think once you sort of get up to levels where you're actually running as a CEO, like it's a very different, very lonely. You don't really talk to many people, um, nor can you, right? Um, because you can do a lot of harm by stepping in, you know? So you have to allow a lot of mistakes to be made that you see are mistakes. But if you step in, it will cause more chaos and mistakes, you know, because your word trumps everything. Like if John comes in, you got three people and you go to the guy in the middle and go, hey, do this. And his manager says, hey, what are you doing? He goes, oh, John said. John said is the ultimate trump card. Like, it's like, ah, fuck. Right. So now that guy looks anemic. 
you don't have the context of everything that's going on in their world, right? You know the outcomes that you're looking for in some of the high level, but you don't have all the day-to-day, right? And so you end up kind of fucking things up. So, um, yeah, so it's sort of a, it's a, I think it's a very disciplined position that's, um, and a lot of people who, 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 who are the founders of the business are probably not the people who are cut out to be it. Um, and I think there's a big learning curve when it comes to actually doing it well. I see a lot of people call themselves a CEO and like, it's a very difficult position in, in, in any company to do right because it, you have to let a lot of things slide that you know are negative, you know? How do you balance the empty space where you are, um, you know, leaving for problem solving or just thinking when you're an early company? Right. So when you're when you founded, for example, Sales Sniper and um, you guys are doing, you know, between under five million a year, I guess, before you had uh, before you have a C-suite. Right. How do you balance? Do you you shouldn't have a C-suite for a long time? Don't hire a C-suite. The moment because when you've got nowhere to put someone, if they are really good. Right. So you hire like you're doing a million, two million dollars a year and you hire a COO. First of all, that person at 10 million is useless to you, right? And so, right, you know what I mean? Like, and then you're going to have to fire them or demote them. Those are your only two options because you need to bring someone in who's better. You know what I mean? So that's awkward. So bring people in at like VP level only. Um, And then have like a, have a couple of positions above or bring them in as director of operations or whatever. You know what I mean? That's a mistake that I made a bunch of times. Like, it's just a bad idea. But I think like the, the key is like, you sort of don't and you just sort of like, you know, you need someone, like, I think it's helpful to have someone who is, like, a mentor who's, like, unemotionally involved to be able to, like, take that time to go fucking stop, you know? Like, this is the plan. This is what we decided upon. You do what the fuck you want, but, like, that's not on the plan. That's a shiny object. If you want to do it, do it, but, like, you can't do all of these things. And so it's like, oh, yeah, sweet. Like... You know, and that's where, like, I think, you know, having a plan for the year, having, like, a three-year plan, a one-year plan, having it mapped out by the quarters, by the month, having your KPIs, your OKRs, your mind, like, having all those things in place, like, they're, they help you run the business, but they're, like, a good accountability measure to ensure that, like, you stick on the plan because, you know, people, like, just divert the moment they see a fucking butterfly. You know, so it's like just stick to the plan and, you're, and you'll probably do a lot better. Yeah. And the people that you mentioned, most people stay stuck, you know, around a million dollars a year because they outsource yeah. the wrong things. Right. They outsource. They try to outsource sales first. And that's one of the things that I've seen uh, with coaching students is I'll have some that come on. They're like, you know, a month in, they just go, I just want to outsource this. I'm not good at sales. Right. Other yeah. than other than that, which seems like an obvious one. What do you think makes people stuck? What do you think is the big difference that takes people to 10 million that the people at a million are just not doing? I think the planning stage is one, like actually planning out what does the business look like at 10 million and then how do you get there? Like, because you got to stage it out. Like, I mean, you know, but rarely do people do it. They don't really understand the numbers, you know, like what's your return on capital employed? I don't know. Yeah. Wait, mine's 326%. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, like, and not that you have to go that nitty gritty, but like, you know, you want to have a good understanding as to the, the, 
what, like what the numbers look like. Not every business makes sense at every level as well. Like you have to know like when the diminishing returns kick in. You know, Coke has a limit. There is, there is a limit. There's a time when it's too much Coke, it, it actually costs the money. There's a time for Tesla where more cars cost the money. There's a time for, you know, for every single business where there is a diminishing return for the sale of each product, right? Which is called your marginal cost, right? Fixed, your fixed variable and marginal cost, right? As soon as your marginal cost starts going up, then, you know, there's a inflection point where it doesn't make any sense anymore. And so figuring some of that stuff out, you know, and then like, what other products am I going to have when they're going to be launched? Like, I think really sitting down and mapping it out is really important. And then from there, like, there has to be a reason for it. Like, you know, if I have a look at like sales training, for example, like, you know, I probably make less money personally at a hundred million than what I would at sixty, right? Potentially, yeah. you know. So it's like, what's the point? Doesn't mean you don't do it. it. Just means that there's a there's a pros and a con, right? And then also the other reason why they get stuck is because like there are just certain levels of businesses where like the profit is at the maximum. 300K a month for a coaching business is where it sits like at maximum profit, I think. And you don't really get that level of profit back for a while. You know, like, well, this is what I, and again, obviously price point dependent, but you know, you see a lot of coaches say they have a, you know, 20K off or whatever like that, they get to $300,000 a month. The level of investment required to sort of get to that next level of 500 or a million, like you're not making that much money personally until you get to over a million dollars a month again. You know, so it's yeah. like, why? Just stay. It's like why Sam Ovens like went back and did what he did. He was like, fuck that. You know, he went to $30 million a year and then dropped back down to $4 million a year because he made more money personally. And that makes sense. You know, Sales Sniper, we used to have fucking tons of clients. And I was like, this is stupid. And so I ramped it down to like, Three, you know, yeah, and we cut out eighty percent of our costs and cut out none of our profit. Most of the headaches, probably. Like yeah, like yeah, and then it clients. just it's. But that client, that that business makes, you know, at the moment, that business is four hundred k a month on idle. Like I mean, without even looking at it, I haven't looked at the books on that business in a fucking year. Like because it is the it, it is I might as well I could fucking walk away from it. Right now, and that business makes more than a month for the next three years. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. It doesn't require any effort on anyone's behalf, you know? And we're going to ramp it back up a little bit this year because I have a really big point. But even that is not going to take me a tremendous amount of effort. You know what I mean? Right. So it'll probably take me two hours a week. Yeah. And so you've, you've been able to scale the seventh level and, well, seventh level very quickly, right? What do you Sales think? Sales Sniper scaled just as fast. Just it as was fast. earlier. Yeah. It went, it went, we went from, start up to 1.5 a month in two years. Yeah. So what do you think contributed to the speed of the growth? But I mean, obviously you've got an incredible product, right? So it sells, it almost sells itself. Then you've got incredible salespeople to sell it yeah. for you. But I mean, what, what really contributed to the speed and how are you able to maintain hiring people throughout that entire process? Cause you guys have a relatively bigger staff now. For me, it was uh, for like Sales Sniper and the initial parts of 7th Level was mainly due to like my content and sales ability. Um, okay. So like, because I made all the sales for 7th Level for the first seven months, right? And then like and a lot of them were high ticket guys that were following okay. me and then saw Jeremy, realized he was amazing. And then they saw what happened when I did Jeremy stuff. So like, because I, I, I had a name in the high ticket space and then like Jeremy was obviously well known. 
but like the combination of the two of us for those first few months is what sort of took it up. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And like I was selling at 90%. I was fucking closing everyone, you know? So, and then but with Sales Sniper, like I was just a way better salesman, much more experienced than anyone else who had similar offerings, right? Like placement offers and like all the people that I was competing against. Like I didn't let the people off the phone. I would just close them there and then. Like I would objection handle hard on yeah. those calls and they'd be like, yeah, we have like, we've had three other interviews and I was like, sweet, well, this is your fourth. Like, here we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have two more. No, you don't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I would just sit there and I would sell and those, none of those people did that. They didn't handle objections. They didn't sort of, you know, and so I just got account after account after account after account. And cause I made everyone do outbound and I made everyone get referrals and I made everyone do the stuff that I did. And there was a culture of like, if you're on this team, you're a killer. Right. And everyone held each other accountable. It was really interesting. Like, obviously it's a lot smaller now and it's sort of, you know what I mean? But like, there was a while there where like, fuck me, we had a good team. Yeah. Like it was wild. Like, um, and everyone held themselves accountable and everyone held each other accountable. And it was like, the guys were just fucking good. Um, yeah. it was really interesting. Um, you know, and we did it, we did a few things that really diluted that, um, you know, that were like business decisions that not from not and not diluted it from like a personnel perspective, from a culture perspective that were interesting, but like, you know, we made the adjustments in make and we, we did a good job of fixing it. And I would say that we're going through that process again at seventh level, kind of like reestablishing, you know, a really good culture in the sales team. And because like the business grows so fast and like when like thing, it's a new business every 90 days, essentially, because like, you know, we got 35,000 leads in October, right? Like that's a lot of leads, man. Like, like it's like, it's a big number, but then you think about it and you're like, fuck Salesforce wouldn't get 35,000 leads. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you know, like they might, yeah. but I mean, like, yeah. let's say they get 50. I mean, fuck me. They're a billion dollar company. Maybe they get a hundred thousand lead, leads yeah. a month. But like, Jesus Christ, we're a small little company. It's about 35,000 inbound inquiries. You know, like that is fucking wild. Man. And like tons of them, like 5,000 of them are just organic website inquiries. That's incredible. That's you know, incredible. we booked 5,000 booked calls. You know, like, it is fucking crazy. And it's a, you know, you know, and so it's so different that like none of the stuff that we sort of did in that high ticket space are sort of relevant anymore. And so we're having to shift to like a far more traditional sales model of like outbound clothes, like people doing their own stuff. Because there's such a huge volume. If you try and do it all through book calls, like you just end up being so inefficient. Like you have a 0.5% lead to sale ratio and it just doesn't make any economic sense after it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I know we've only got five more minutes. So I've got two questions. Number one, if you were, you know, back to however old you were when you were starting Sales Sniper, maybe you guys just got it off the ground, right? Doing under a million dollars a month or under five. What questions would you want to ask today's Matt Ryder that I didn't ask? I think uh, it's all going to be okay, son. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I think, I think if I, it's sort of like asking, like, I guess, what, what do you wish you knew? Right. Um, 
I think what I what I wish I knew is like the importance of vision, mission, and values. Yeah. Like the actual importance of like that side of things and like how that can really affect the decision making of the business. And then like how to stay I wish I would have stayed more on track with the business model because like we did tons of useless side projects. Mm. Okay. And you know, so it's like, and these days it's very hard to get me to do anything. You know? Got it. Yeah. Like, and like the money, it has nothing to do with it. Someone's like, Hey, we could do this and make $5 million a month. I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things you could do to do that. You know what I mean? Like, do I want to do that? No, it doesn't sound like fun. Not particularly. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, so yeah, that, that's a big thing. It's like vision, mission, and values, like really taking, really taking note of that and then just staying on track. Like, is it part of the plan? No. Okay. Probably don't need to do it then. Got it. Awesome, man. So where can people find out more about seventh level, more about sales sniper? And if somebody wants to join your team, if they want to get in the long line of people that want to be a part of Seventh level. We're hiring. We're trying to hire seventeen more people right now. So. Okay, so where would they? How would they go about doing that? Where would be the easiest way? I can't remember. There's a click up form somewhere. Reach out to me on Facebook. I'll I'll send it to you. Um, Yeah. If not, I think you can. There's a couple ways. You can go to the Sales Sniper website, and there's like a Become a Savage, and I think you can apply to be a sales rep there. I think there's also a similar link on the Seventh Level website, which is SeventhLevelHQ.com. I'll yeah, get that from you and I'll put, it, I'll put it in the show notes. And then where can people yeah. find find out more about you? Uh, man, I'm so bad on social media these days. I post like once a month. Um, so, but you can, if you want to do some back content, go to uh, Matt Ryder on YouTube and real Matt Ryder on Instagram. I don't even have Instagram on my phone anymore though. So I post uh, okay. every, <laughs> every now you. and then. Yeah. <laughs> I just, awesome, I'm working. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I like I'm it. Working. Well, man, this has been incredible. I really appreciate you coming on. I learned a lot. I'm sure everybody else is going to learn a lot. That's all we have. Thanks again, guys.